Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. 14, beginning at verse number 5, John 14 and 5, and then Acts 9. And then we're going to read about four verses of Scripture, five, six verses of Scripture here, uh, to kind of lay a, a strong foundation, amen. And uh, by the time it's all said and done in my message today, I am going to preach in response to 10, 10, everybody say 10, common questions of salvation. Amen. And I hope I can get that done. And I believe I'll be able to get that done in a timely manner. Amen. But I want to know, I don't know about you, but I want to know what the Bible says about my salvation. Amen. Amen. John 14 and 5 says, Thomas, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? Everybody say the way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that he was the way. Look at somebody and say the way. Acts 9 and 2 says, And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the, uh, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, everybody say this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Acts 16 and 17. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us, say it, the way of salvation. The key word is way. Amen. Amen. I remember... uh, Y'all remember when that was cool to say way and no way? Okay. Acts 18 and 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto they took him unto them and expounded unto him, say it with me, the way of God more perfectly. And the key word there is way. Amen. Acts 19 beginning at verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not but spake of that spake of that spake of that Before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. Acts 22 and 4. And I persecuted this. I persecuted this unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Amen. Paul was one bad dude. But God saved him. Because there's nobody outside the scope of being saved. Amen. Acts 24 and 14. But this I confess unto thee, that after the... Kind of see a theme going here, don't you? After the way which they call heresy, 
So worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And one more time, in John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. I want to preach to you on one theme, two simple words, the way. The way. I want to know the way. I want to know the way. I want to know how to get there. Amen. If you're, if you're planning a trip to Colorado, you might ought to find out the way. I want to know the way so I don't get lost and I make my destination. Amen. Would you just reach your hands to heaven for a moment and let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence for your eternal spirit that is in this place. And I pray this morning that you would touch me to speak the words of life and freedom into somebody's heart today. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in which we are not able to do. And I pray that before we leave this place today, someone would come to know you in biblical salvation. Someone would step into the altar of repentance into the watery grave of baptism and receive resurrection life through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and let the church shout amen. Could you give the Lord another praise before you see me this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Look at somebody before you're seated and say, I want to know the way. And you can be seated. There are two destinations for man's eternal soul. This is not a popular opinion in the minds of our society today, and it is no longer even a popular opinion amongst so-called Christians. But there is still only two destinations for a man's eternal soul. There is either heaven or there is hell. There is no in-between. There is no holding room. There is no purgatory. There is only heaven or hell. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep upon his right hand, but the goats upon the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you took me in. Jump down to verse 41. Jesus continuing saying, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, that is the goats, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. I want to make something absolutely clear to you on a Sunday morning in 2022. There is only two destinations for the soul of mankind. Either we will be saved and spend eternity with God in heaven or be lost and to spend eternity banished into everlasting punishment. I know this isn't a popular message, but I didn't come to preach for popular opinion. I didn't come to preach for likes or shares or retweets or Instagram. I've come to preach because there are souls that hang in the balance this morning that need to hear about salvation. One thing is absolutely certain today. Before you leave this room this morning, you will no longer be able to say you were unaware of what it took to be saved and be with God 
in eternity or be lost away from God for all of eternity. The question I have for you, the first question is, which place, heaven or hell, do you desire to spend eternity? Amen. The choice is up to you and not up to God. We have so watered down Christianity. Amen. In this postmodern pop psychology, amen, TVN, TV watching Christian society that we live in that nobody's going to be lost and nobody's going to go to hell. I hear people say it all the time, I'm a Christian and I don't believe God's going to send anybody to hell. God loves everybody to which I'll say you finally got something right. Amen. God's not going to send anybody to hell. You're going to send yourself to hell. Because hell is your choice and my choice. We make that choice. If I make it to heaven, I will have made a choice to go to heaven. If I miss heaven, I have made a choice to miss heaven. I won't make it to heaven out of ignorance, and I won't make it to hell out of a lack of knowledge. I will be informed in my decision. Amen. We use phrases about hell as if it's something good. Amen. Songs like highway to hell. Terms like party like hell. Phrases like I'll see you in hell and we will party there. Friend, you will be all alone in the everlasting abyss and darkness. Void from God's grace and God's blessing. Oh, God's presence will be in hell. It just won't be what you're feeling right now. You'll feel the everlasting torment of God's judgment. You'll feel the everlasting severity and pain knowing that you are separated from a God who loves you uh, and long for a relationship with you. Amen. I know some of you may have never heard a message like this. Uh, and to that I say I apologize uh, that there's been no preacher that loved you enough to tell you uh, that if you want to be saved, uh, you need to escape hell. I believe the most obvious answer this morning in this room is that everybody would say, I want to go to heaven. I I, I really don't want to go to hell. You're not going to be partying in hell. There's no beer in hell. There's no cocaine in hell. Amen. There's no no, uh, free sex in hell. There is no celebration in hell. It is an eternity of misery. But if you make a choice today that you want to go to heaven... If you make a choice today, you want to go to heaven, I'm going to give you a way, as the Bible says, that you can get to heaven. Question number one is which place you want to go to. Question number two is how do we get there? Every earthly destination that we desire to travel can be reached by following directions given through the road map. The Bible is like our road map. It is our roadmap to our eternal destination. If you get lost on your destination, don't blame Randy McNally. And only people over 30 know what I'm talking about or over 40. That's where we used to have to buy a book with a map in it. Y'all remember that? You had to draw it out. There was no Waze and Google. Google Maps, amen, or or the, now, if you're going to get lost, it's going to be Apple Maps. They're the worst. But when you're listening to Google Maps, if you'll trust, amen, you're going to get there. If you'll listen to ways, you'll trust, you're going to get there. Amen. The map is a way that has been established for you to get to your destination. The Bible has been established as your eternal road map to find your way to salvation. Amen. You ever heard the phrase, you can't get there from here? Amen. I'm telling you, you can get to heaven from here. If you make your choice today and you make up your mind today that you want to be saved, amen, there is a way that the Bible says you can make it to heaven that's why the word of God instructs us that we must take this road if we are 
to reach heaven. We are to take this path if we are to make it to heaven. Amen. And you may say, that's awesome, Pastor, but but how do I get there? And what is that road that I must take? What is it that I must do? And then I would op- ask you to open your road map, amen, to the book of John, chapter number 3, and beginning at verse number 1. I'm going to show you, here. here's the first route that you've got to take, amen, because I need to get you on the path to heaven. There's only one way to get there. I I need to establish that. There's not multiple ways to get to heaven. There's the Bible way to get to heaven. There's not my way to heaven and your way to heaven and grandma's way to heaven and my uncle's way to heaven. There's Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. I don't care what denomination they are. I don't care if they're Episcopal, Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist. It doesn't matter. It do, I want to know what does the Bible, what does the Word of God say about how I get to heaven? Because that's what matters. The Bible records in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered him uh, and answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Question number four is this. What does the term born again really mean? What does it really mean to be born again? Well, if you'll drop on down, Brother Lopez, to verse number four, let's see what Jesus says says about it. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's a logical question but Jesus answers it in verse number 5 when he says, surely, surely I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If you'll go down to verse number 6 Amen. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Amen. Verse 7, Jesus says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. Being born again is not an option. Being born again is not a something you do, amen, as a statement of faith. Being born again, Jesus said, it is a necessity to be born again. Praise God. So question number, so the answer to that is you cannot enter into the kingdom of God without this new birth experience. Question number five, what does it mean when Jesus says, be born of water? Two reasons we know that Jesus is not talking about a natural birth is because in John 3, 3, Jesus uses the term born again, signifying that this is definitely a second birth in a person's life. Number two, the way we know it wasn't a literal birth of a second time or that he was talking about something spiritual is in John 3, 5, he uses the phrase born of water instead of born of the water, signifying that it could be any kind of water. Amen. When Jesus, when we study what Jesus was saying, we know that the New Testament salvation we're talking about understands to be born of water means to place significant on the ascension of somebody baptized in water. Water. Praise God. Show that in Mark 16 and 16. Have that ready. Jesus emphasizes this over and over again because he already preached to Nicodemus that a man must be born of the 
water and of the is absolutely imperative. Jesus says, 1616, amen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that not shall hang. That doesn't sound like there's any room. It's like either you're baptized and be saved or not be baptized and be lost. Listen, I know this isn't what Oprah teaches, but I don't, I don't believe Oprah's doctrine. I know this isn't what Joel Osteen and the other phonies teach, but this, I don't follow Joel, I follow the word of God. What does the word, we're not trying to build a crowd, we want to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can't believe that, amen. I, I, I don't know, I shook a preacher's hand and was saved. Well, you shook a preacher's hand. Well, I repeated a, a, a sinner's prayer and was said, well, you repeated a prayer. You can't find that in the Bible. And I'm not hanging my eternity on what a group of people does versus what the Bible says I need to do to be saved. Amen. I come to dispel the myth this morning. There is no biblical sinner's prayer. There is no confession of sin that makes you saved. There is no climbing into some creepy closet and talking to some dude on the other side of a screen that's going to save you. There is no praying to an idol or lighting a candle and burning incense to a saint that'll say, there's only one way to be saved. And that is calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the way. So question number six is, since baptism is essential in a person's salvation process, is there a correct method of baptism? And I'm so glad you asked that because this is very important. First, we need to define the word baptism. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptismo, which means to submerge, to place under. Amen. I think we would all agree together that if you put something underwater, it's going to be wet. When you put something under the water, the, the word baptismo is also the Greek word where you get the word that means bury. When you bury something, it's completely submerged. You don't take a handful of dirt and fling it onto a casket and it be buried. No, it just got dirty. Nor do you take a handful of water and sprinkle it on someone and then be baptized. No, they just got a shower. But the word baptism in the Bible means to put under the water. Amen. Let me just, let me just stop and say this right here. Because for so many, they believe that baptism, they've been taught baptism is optional because baptism just shows people that you are that you're just confessing the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. Mark 16, 16, Jesus didn't say, he that believeth and doesn't mind going into the water of baptism to prove to everybody he loves Christ shall be saved. No, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. It doesn't sound like an option. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 3, and verse number 16, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Even Jesus himself was baptized to be a living example that for salvation to take place, there must be water baptism that would occur, amen, in the washing away of your sins. Keep Matthew 3 and 16 pinned in your Bible, amen, because it says that he went up straightway out of the water. It didn't say John the Baptist flung water on him or sprinkled it on him. It said when he come up out of the water, when he got up out of the water and the heavens opened unto him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And I want to just pause and say here, amen, uh, it, there wasn't a dove. There was no dove at the baptism. That's not what it says. It said it descended like a dove. When I played football, and we'd play the Louisville Red Devils, they had a guy on that team by the name of Jabone. And Jabone, when he hit you, your grandma hurt. And one day, Jabone hit me, and he knocked me unconscious, and he hit me like a freight train. Now, I'd be lying if I said a freight train detoured off the tracks 
and got on to Falcon Panther Field and on about the 36-yard line, a freight train from Union Pacific hit me and knocked me unconscious. Now, I'd be lying and stupid. The dove was not there. It said the spirit was descending like a dove, gently soaring down and setting up on him. It was a future of what was going to happen in the salvation experience that when you are baptized that the Spirit of God would descend on the life of a believer. Well, I'm already in it. Might as well go to verse 17 and finish. Amen. I'm getting ahead of myself in questions 7 and 8. Amen. But if you go to verse 17, it said, And there was a voice out of heaven that spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. That was not denoting that there were two separate persons. Amen. That were speaking to one another. It said that when a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son and a beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. That was a heavenly voice. A heavenly sound that was coming down from heaven like the Holy Spirit descending like a dove that fell upon Jesus Christ. It was a forerunner. It was what was one day going to happen to exemplify salvation. And in Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost fell, amen, and the Holy Ghost descended upon them and they spoke with a heavenly language. Amen. Acts 8 and 38 said, and they went down into the water and he baptized them, him. He, everybody say down. Down into the water and baptized him. We understand by the definition of the word baptized and by all scriptural example that the correct method of baptism is by complete immersion. Amen. Question number seven. If immersion is the correct method for baptism, then is there a correct formula or is there certain words that must be spoken over a person as they are being baptized for their baptism to be valid? I think that's a fair question. If you've got to go in the water and be baptized, do you have to say the right thing? I would imagine you would. I, I don't think... God would be very specific up to this point and say, well, once you get in the water, you can just say whatever you want to say. Mm -mm. You can't get in the water and say, I, I, you know, I, I baptize you in the name of my great uncle Freddie. I now baptize you in the name of my, my, my great aunt Sally. I, I really love my dad or my mom. I baptize. It don't work like that. Because scripture gave us a formula for baptism. Let me prove it in Matthew 28, verse number 19. I want to answer this question because there's a lot of confusion here. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Listen to what Jesus said and then I will tell you what he did not say. He said, you go baptize them in the name, that's singular. There's only one name, of the Father and of the Son. He did not say, go you into all the world and repeat what I just said, baptizing people. He was speaking to people who understood what the name of the Father was. And they knew what the name of the Son was. And they knew what the name of the Holy Ghost was. Jesus instructed them to baptize singularly in the name. Everybody say the name. Let me ask you something. Is Father a name? It's not a name. It's a title. It's a title. You go in a crowded room and you start yelling, Dad, Father, a whole bunch of men are going to turn around because it's a description. It's a description. It's a title given. Father is not the name of God. Amen. Is son a name? No, son's not a name. Son is another title. It's a description. Here's one that people get hung up on. Is Holy Ghost a name or Holy Spirit? Is that a name? It's a, it's a description. It means sanctified spirit. Holy Spirit. 
These are only titles. I, 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 don't, I don't got time to get into all of this, but let me give you some scripture. Uh, Brother John, I hope you can keep up with me on this. So what is the name of the Father? Well, let me give you scripture. John 5 and 43 says, I've come in my Father's Who was talking? So if Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name, what's the name of the Father? Give yourselves a hand. You passed the class. Jesus is the name of the Father. Because Jesus is not Jehovah Junior. He is not Elohim the second. His name is Jesus. So the name of the Father is According to Jesus, the name of the Father is Jesus. I come in my Father's name. So what's the name of the Son? Matthew 1, 21. This ought to be easy. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name, shout it. For he shall save his people from their sins. So two out of three, we know the name is Jesus. By the way, this is, when I was in school, my my English teacher, Miss D. Pond, this is a true story. We were studying prepositional phrases, and it was the only time in my life I ever paid attention in school because her and I kept having a debate on baptism. She believed you had to be baptized. When you were submerged, you would say in the name of the, you'd say in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I believe what the Bible said, that when you baptize somebody, you call upon the name of Jesus. And so she was teaching on prepositional phrases. And you know what she said to me, Sister Michael? She said that a prepositional phrase in English is the equivalent of a math problem. It's the only English uh, situation you get into that is like a math problem that you must find a solution and you can use mathematics to help that solution. Meaning you find the majority. When you find the majority, because the prepositional phrase talks about uh, that you've got to find the adjective. Right? You've got to find the adjective, which is a description. But the description is not just a general description. You've got to find the pronoun. How many knows what a noun is? Say it with me. Person. That's a noun. A pronoun is what? The name of a. Didn't know you were going to English school this morning, did you? So you've got to find the pronoun for the prepositional phrase. A pronoun meaning the name. So if there are descriptions in the prepositional phrase or titles, you've got to say the name of that person or thing that is revealed in this problem. So Matthew 28, 19 gives us three titles. But we've got to come up with one name. We already found out, John 5, the name of the Father is? The name of the Son is? I looked at Miss Pond and I said, already two out of three proves the Bible's right. When you're baptized, the only way to be baptized is in the name of Jesus. But God doesn't do everything 75% right. He does it 100% right. I said, so what's the name of the Holy Ghost? And she said, oh, the name of the Holy Ghost is Holy Ghost. I said, no, John 14, 26, definition. But the comforter, but the comforter, but the comforter, which is the... Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. In whose name? In whose name? So the name of the Father is? The name of the Son is? And the name of the Holy Ghost is? So when you go into the waters of baptism, there's only one name. We don't call upon titles. Titles don't do anything. If I were to write you a check this morning for $1,000 and I wrote where you're supposed to sign your name, if I wrote son, do you think they're going to cash it? They're going to tell you the check is invalid. I don't care that you possess the check. I don't care that it has the right account number on it. You've got to put the name on that check. Do you think Chase Bank is smarter than Jesus Christ? I can write son. I'm a son. I can write husband. I'm a husband. I can write dad, I'm a dad. 
I can write brother, I'm a brother. I can write pastor, I'm a pastor. I can write a whole list of titles on the bottom of that check, but that bank is not going to cash that check until I put my name on it because my name gives the authority for the bank to release the funds to be able to put into your account what I have laid up in my account for you to withdraw. The same thing happens in baptism. Amen. Only the name of Jesus can release the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's why the Bible says neither is there salvation in any other name. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and giving him a name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It's only one name. Only one name. The Bible also said whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in Jesus' name. Is baptism a deed? You better do it in Jesus' name. Say, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think, I think that's your version of salvation. I'm sorry, but that's the Bible's version of salvation. And I shouldn't have to prove to you that people were baptized in Jesus' name. Why don't you prove to me they weren't baptized in Jesus' name? Because after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will not find the disciples baptizing anybody other than in the name of Jesus Christ. Luke 24 and 47. If we have that ready. Luke 24 and 47. Jesus, again, he starts commanding that people are baptized in his name. Since the remission of sin, 47, 24, 47, since the remission of sin is only coming through the name. Everybody say the name. The name of Jesus. Amen. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Matthew 16 and 19. The Bible says that Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That means Jesus gave Peter the ability to unlock the door that is blocking or that is at the entrance uh, at the end of the way. We are on the way. But if you're going to get into the kingdom, there is a door that needs to be unlocked uh, and in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So did the disciples of Jesus baptize their converts as Jesus commanded them to? Or did they do their own thing? Because here's the settling debate of Matthew 28, 19. And I've heard people say this. Well, Jesus said that in 28, 19 of Matthew. So I'd rather do what Jesus said than what the disciples said. Well, then that's dangerous ground because now you're invalidating the entire Bible. Say, so why, haven't, why haven't I heard this before? I don't know. You got to go ask them that preach to you. I'm just preaching what the Bible said. Don't hate the mailman. I'm just delivering the mail. I didn't write it. So here's the question. Did the disciples preach what Jesus taught them to preach? Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 18 and 16, we see people being baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 10, 48, being baptized only in the name of Jesus. Acts 19, only in the name of Jesus. How important is the name of Jesus to your salvation? Acts 4 and 12 says, there is not salvation in any other name but in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
I've come to tell you this morning, amen, I'm so thankful for any step that you've made toward God, whether you were baptized being sprinkled, whether you were baptized and they called on the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, if they baptize you in the name of, uh, of, of Gonzo or baptize you in the name of Ronald McDonald, I don't care. Any step toward God is a step in the right direction. But once you see what the Word of God clearly says. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Just like John's disciples in Acts 19, when they saw and they heard that John baptized to repentance, Paul said, hey, now you've got to get baptized in the name of Jesus. And they were rebaptized. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, so, so did, did Paul look at the disciples of John in Acts 19 and did he say, well, you meant well. And so that baptism will work. No. No, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what our intentions were. That didn't work because only the name of Jesus can, remo- can remove the sin from our life. Question number eight. What did Jesus mean by being born of the Spirit? Well, there's two reasons, again, that we know Jesus is not talking about a natural birth. Because in John 3.3, 3, he's using the term born again, signifying a definite second birth in a person's life. Number two, when the Bible, in the Bible, when the Spirit of God is referred to, it is always referred to with a capital S, while man's spirit is a lowercase s. The reference is also to, quote, the Spirit signifying a birth only by one spirit and that spirit being the spirit of God. The following scriptures are going to teach us that the birth of the spirit is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse number 26, the prophet says, I will put my spirit within you. Hallelujah. And Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, John the Baptist says, For he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John 7 and 37 says, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. I don't got time to read it all, but John 14, 16 through 18, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7 says, For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Jesus also instructed the disciples the place to be where the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit would be. Because in Luke 24 and 49, Jesus says, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, in verses 4 through 8, Jesus commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Hallelujah. Now let's read Acts chapter 2. In verses 1 through 4. I'm almost done. I want to show you the way this morning. I don't want you to leave here confused on how what the Bible says to be saved. I want to know what the Bible says to be saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit capital S gave them the utterance Go down to verse 36 if you would, Brother John. Amen. Because in verse 36, amen, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. Keep going with me. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall 
shall we do? Brother Garza, they wanted to know, how do we get saved? How do we find the way? How? If there's any one place in the Bible that you're going to hear it condensed on how to be saved, it's the first time the Holy Ghost was outpoured and thousands of people began to scream, what shall we do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad you know the way? Come on and give him praise this morning if you're glad you found. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter is the one whom Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who preaches the message of salvation on the day of Pentecost. And it is now that we see salvation's message preached with the conclusion of being born again of the water, which is water baptism, and being born again of the spirit, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is the new birth message. Acts 1 and 8, Jesus told his disciples, they would be witnesses of you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth in Jerusalem was Acts chapter 2 in Judea was Acts 3 Acts 4 and Acts 5 in Samaria was Acts chapter 8 and to the uttermost parts of the earth that's the Gentiles that happened in Acts chapter 2 10 in each of the places that they preached the salvation message they all preached the same message that if you want to be saved you got to repent of your sins be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost question number nine what evidence or sign did God give us a proof that the Holy Spirit had came into a person's life? That's a valid question, right? What was the sign? Well, well, there is no sign, Pastor. We just accept it by faith. But what does the Bible, I'm not asking what they told you on TV or you read in somebody's book or you heard in a seminar. What does the Bible say happened as a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's read Acts 28, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 28 and 11. 748 years before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet said. For with, a, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Ooh, hallelujah. Almost 800 years before Christ came, the prophet prophesied this was going to happen. John 3 and 8. Thou hearest the sound thereof. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. John was telling, Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John 3, amen, he said everybody that's born of the Spirit, there's going to be a sound. You're going to, the Greek word is phone. It means a sound. Amen. Everybody that receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, they're going to hear a sound. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4, and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Acts chapter 10 said that the Jewish believers watched as the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. That's you and me. When the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, the Jewish people, Sister Sarah, did not look at one another and say, look, they've received the Holy Spirit. They said the sinner's prayer, and they confessed and believed in their heart. That's not what they said. The same people who were in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Four, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9 were the same preachers and believers that were all the way back in the beginning. And when the Holy Ghost fell for the first time on Gentile people, that's non-Jewish people, the Bible said they marveled and looked at one another and said, look, they have received the Holy Ghost just as we have, for we hear them speaking and tongues magnifying God. Oh, I 
I feel like shouting this morning. I know I got the Holy Ghost. I know I was born again because I got it just like Mary, the mother of Jesus. I got it just like Peter and John. I got it just like John. I got it just like Cornelius. I got it like they did because when I received the indwelling of his spirit, I heard myself speaking in tongues. Tongues is not an added gift. It is a gift, but it's not a bonus blessing. Tongues is the evidence of the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Aren't you glad God don't leave you guessing whether you're saved? Aren't you glad he don't leave you just wandering around going, boy, I sure hope I'm saved. You see, when the devil comes around telling me and starts trying to convince me I'm not saved, I just, I said, listen, you, you're a liar and the father of them. You couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of Bibles holding an angel's hand looking Jesus in the face. I know I'm saved. I know the spirit of Christ lives in me because when I was filled with his spirit, I started speaking words I didn't learn in school. I started saying things they didn't teach me at home. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, God took control of what the Bible said is the most uncontrolled part of my body, my tongue. And I started making noises and sounds and words. It sounded like baby talking gibberish. I still don't know what I said, but I know this much. I know the Holy Ghost indwelled in my life. And I began to speak things. I'm preaching to you about the way. Somebody shout the way. And finally, question number 10. What did the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the majority, he wrote three quarters of the New Testament Bible. What did he write to the majority of the New Testament church or to each New Testament epistle to the church to preach as the plan of salvation? And I'm glad that you asked because if you'll get me Galatians Amen, chapter 1. Amen, and then you'll give me Galatians chapter 2. I don't got time to read all these. We're just going to skim over them. Amen. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read through some of these. Amen. He said in verses 6 and 7, he was thoroughly convinced, but that there was only one gospel. Verses 8 and 9, he was so firmly believed in the gospel that he had preached to the Galatians uh, that he declared a curse on any man who would preach anything else than what they heard uh, even if it were an angel come from heaven he said even if I myself come back and preach any other thing uh, you let us be cursed because there is no other gospel verses 11 and 12 uh, he declares that the gospel he preached uh, came by direct revelation of Jesus Christ verses 17 and 18 after spending three years in Arabia and Damascus he returns to Jerusalem and he compares the notes of his revelations of salvation with what Peter preached about salvation and found out that what Jesus taught him in the desert by himself matched up exactly with what Simon Peter and the rest of the disciples were preaching. Amen. The man who had the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In verse 23, he begins to preach the faith which was once delivered to the saints in Acts 7 and 54 through 60, Acts 8 and 1, Saul consented or gave permission for Stephen's death. Stephen was a man, the Bible said in Acts 6, 5, that he was a man filled or full of the Holy Ghost. In chapter 2 of Galatians, verses 1 and 2, 14 years later, he returns to Jerusalem to make sure that the same message that Peter preached was still being preached among the Gentiles that they were still preaching. You got to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. And it's while he was on that missionary journey in Acts chapter 19 that he runs into John's disciples. And if you'll get me Acts 19 and 1, we're going to skim over this. He comes upon the disciples of John, and while he was in Apollos, or while Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Verse 2, 
He said unto them, he knew, now, now listen, it didn't record verbatim every little tidbit of the conversation, but he knew they were John's disciples. And he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? So for those that may think that the Holy Ghost is optional, Paul shuts that down right there. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? The disciples of John, their response was this. We haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? We haven't even heard that there be a Holy Ghost. Verse 3. The second question wasn't, well, let's sit down and talk about the Holy Ghost. He goes, okay, we started at third base. Let's back up to second base. Under what baptism were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. You see, if the baptism, if baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues was not essential to salvation, why would have Paul ever rebaptized them or told them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Come on. If, if that was the way to be, if it doesn't really matter, then why did Paul stop and say, if you haven't received the Holy Ghost, then we need to talk about how you were baptized. And then verses 5 and 6, you find out that they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And they, listen, when they heard this, Paul didn't have to argue. Well, I just wish, you know what I, I, I'm praying for and I believe is, is happening already? That when people hear the gospel, I don't got to sit down and prove to them why grandma was wrong. Or, or we don't got to sit down and prove to them why the church over there is not teaching it right. When they hear this, see if they truly got a hunger for God. When they hear this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Give me verse number six. Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So if baptism in Jesus' name isn't important, then Paul messed up. If the Holy Ghost isn't important, then Paul missed it. But we know Paul didn't miss it. Paul was locking down that this was right. Amen. I got two bonus questions as our musicians come. I gave you 10 important questions, but let me say this. Question number 11, was the apostle Paul baptized in Jesus' name? And was he filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? Well, let me answer that question emphatically, yes. Acts 9 and 17 through 18. Acts 9, 17 through 18. Paul was promised not only the return of his sight, but also the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Acts 22 and 16, Paul says that Ananias commanded Paul to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the phrase calling upon the name of the Lord means that when Ananias put him under the water, that Ananias called and said, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. Okay, so he was baptized. He repented. But pastor, there's nothing about Paul receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Hold on. 1 Corinthians 14 and 18. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than ye all. And my final question is this. Is the Holy Spirit baptism for me today? And I want to conclude with one scripture. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Would you stand with me this morning? So we understand by all these scriptures that the way of salvation the way of salvation is to repent everybody say repent that means to have a change of mind a change of purpose for your life that means to stop the lifestyle of sin that you have now and pursue a life of godliness and righteousness the second thing is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And third, 
be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Oh, I feel His presence in this place. There may be some this morning, and I'm, I'm quite certain there are, and you're saying, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard it quite like this. I've had two of the three or one of the three. You may say, I know I wasn't baptized in the name. I know when they baptized me, they said in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Do I need to be rebaptized? It's not what I think. What does the Bible say? Because according to the disciples, according to Jesus, it was not a valid way to remove sin if it wasn't in the name of Jesus. Pastor, I'm not sure that, I, I don't know, when they baptized me, I, I didn't even pay attention. I, I don't know what they said. To that I would say, eternity's too long to take a chance. And I'm going to tell you what will happen. The church across town, they'll, they'll, oh, it doesn't matter. God understands your heart. No, no, it matters what we say. Because there's only salvation in one name, in the name of Jesus. Say, but I felt good when I came out of the water. Hey, I feel good when I take a bath too. And I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to be mean. But if the name of Jesus was not called over your life when you were baptized, you went into the waters, a dry center, you came out a wet center. It takes the name of Jesus to be applied over your life in baptism to remove the sin because only the name of Jesus has the authority to remove sin. Pastor, I need to get rebaptized according to the Bible. And here's some good news. We got a tank you can get baptized in, clothes you can change into. We even got towels to dry off with. I wouldn't postpone it, not a moment. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right now is the appointed time for tomorrow is promised unto no man. I'm preaching to you about the way. Well, what about the Holy Spirit baptism? Can I receive it today? Absolutely. If you've repented of your sins. If you've, if you've repented of your sins and you've got faith in God, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. If you've drifted away from God, it's been a long time, you can be renewed in His Spirit today, as Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that's within you. I feel such, I feel such a beautiful peace in this place right now. I feel like I don't have to prove anything. There's no debating. There's no argument. I feel there's somebody in this place this morning. There's somebody in this place this morning who is saying, you know what? I see I'm ready to act upon salvation. I, I'm ready to I've come to church. I've prayed in the altars. I've been to it. I've been going to church. But I've never heard it quite like this. And I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to make sure that I'm saved. I want to I want to pray and I want to seek God. I want that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've never I've never spoken that unknown language. I, I've, I've never I want that. I want the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in my life. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I want you all over this house just to begin to lift your hands. And I want you just to lift your just close your eyes, lift your hands and begin to pray right where you are. In just a few moments I'm going to open these altars for everybody in this building. I want you to begin to repent right where you are right now. I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to ask God to forgive you of your sin right there where you are right now. Somebody's about to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning. The waters of baptism could be served here in just the next few moments. I feel His presence in this place right now. First Church, this is what we've been praying for. Remember the directives, amen, that were given on the last two Thursday nights. Get ready. This is the moment we've been waiting for. God is in this place. He's moving. He's changing lives right now. People are drawing near unto the Lord. Come on, that's it. Seek the Lord. God, I need you in my life today. Lord, I, I, I want a full confession of salvation in my life. Lord, I need you today, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I've done things that have trespassed your word. I've done things, oh God, that has trespassed your, your law. God, I need mercy and grace and forgiveness in my life. Confess your sin to the Lord, He'll forgive it. You don't gotta confess it to me, you don't gotta confess it to a man. Well, well you just confess.
Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.